0: He'll open your Bibles to First Corinthians. It's in your New Testament towards the end. First <clears throat> Corinthians, we'll meet in chapters one through four today. Uh, I took my wife to Gladys night this week. Yeah, yeah, uh, Wednesday down at the Paramount. When I when I say I, I took my wife there, I meant I drove her there. I dropped her off at the Paramount and then I picked her up again later on. But I, just, I want to say that was a very interesting group of people. Okay, <laughs> I watched people get in, go there and 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 leave the Paramount Theater. I mean, wow! I mean, income level, levels all over the place. People showed up in limousines. Some people rode their bikes. Some people had their husbands drive them there. But like there was there was ethnic diversity <laughs> for sure, and uh, age differences. Uh, Radical religious differences, uh, Gladys broke into a gospel song and those of the faith, it turned into a, I mean, a revival. Those backup singers, now they're a church choir and people were standing up and holding up their hands and praised Jesus and other people with different religious backgrounds were like, huh. Anyway, uh, pop songs, everybody was swinging in their chairs. Uh, but I'll tell you this, I bet there weren't six people in that sold out crowd that had three things in common. I mean, it was, it was a different crowd. But I'll tell you this, this is true, that every one of those people, they put those differences aside for two hours so they could enjoy Gladys Knight. For 120 minutes they say, there's one thing that matters <laughs> and that's her singing some fantastic songs. It was unity for a common purpose. A lot of like the church. Well, a lot like the church is supposed to be, unified for a common purpose. Lately, it hasn't been that way so much, especially in our country. I want to read you uh, a little section from the president of the largest Protestant denomination in the world, and this is him addressing his church. He says, what is most disappointing for me in 2020 is how so many church people were willing to walk away from the church over relatively small disagreements, at least small in light of the gospel and in light of eternity. Well, you didn't say enough about the cultural issues, so I'm leaving. You said too much about the cultural issues, so I'm leaving. I didn't like your approach to vaccines and masks. I'm out of here. I talked, he said, I talked to people with which I'd been at our church for a decade and said, I married your kids. I walked with you through the tragedy of a death of a family member. And now you're leaving because you disagree with what we're doing with masks? We Christians say we hate the cancel culture, but we're, um, but I'm amazed at how many people are willing to cancel their church over a disagreement on rather, on a rather small thing, small thing in light of the gospel. It wasn't that just that denomination. Uh, Lifeway Christian uh, Stores and Publishing House does a survey every year about what the issues of the year are, and this year for the first time ever, it was church unity. So the idea of churches being divided is, well, it's nothing new, as a matter of fact. The books of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that's a church that is famously divided famously being torn apart. As a matter of fact, that's why Paul has to write two different letters and they're large letters addressing the various ways you can be, you, you can have arguments and how you can split a church. And, you know, the, the, the general division for them, okay, if I had to say, what is the overarching? And then we'll, we're going to look at some of the various ways you can be divided. But the general reason that this church is so split up is because they were They were Corinthian Christians. They were Corinthians that were Christians. The center of their universe, their identity, the reason they would brag about things is because they were Corinthians. And they had a Corinthians worldview. They had a Corinthian value system. Oh, yeah, 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 and they're Christians too. And this Corinthian worldview, which would be very much like any worldview outside of the... Biblical worldview, Paul's gonna call that fleshly or worldly because it's the natural value system we gravitate towards. And so it caused a great deal of division. Look what he says in chapter one, verse 10. He says, I uh, I said, I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would all agree, okay, that there would be no division among you, that you'd be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Why was there so much division in this church? And here's here's why. Because Jesus Christ had lost his place in their souls. When Jesus Christ leaves his sovereign throne as king, then there's going to be division. If he's not the king on that throne, on the soul of every person and in that church, they're going to find a way to split this in as many ways as they can. And that's what we're going to look, the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians is kind of difficult to preach honestly, and what I'm gonna to try to do today is to try to show you what to look for when you read chapters one through four. It'll be helpful if you did that, but what I'm gonna to try to do today is to show you the reasons for the divisions and why there are so many. And, and by the way, the reasons for the division in the Corinthian church is the reason their division maybe in our church, but in your marriage or in a workplace. And and it's, it's, it's this, is their, their identity was, was found in something that was, that was not Christian. It was not Jesus Christ and him crucified, but their identity was found in being a Corinthian. I'm, you know, I I identify as a Corinthian. So it's hard to explain or hard to know what that means. So let me tell you what the Corinthian culture is, a little bit about the city and the values that they had. So you'd understand that how their identities attached to that and how that attachment caused great division in the church. So real quick survey of, of this culture and this city called Corinth. Corinth is in Greece. And if you look at it geographically, like land masses, it's like an hourglass where it has a land mass to the north and the south, but it's, it's the bottleneck. It's in the middle. It's the waistline in between. So it was a connection to the north and the south via land, but it had two harbors. He had it basically two sea coasts and it had one that would allow people to get to Asia and the other one uh, into, uh, into Italy and, and, and all of Europe. And so you can imagine this is a hub of commerce. It is a powerful strategic trade route. As a matter of fact, they built a road from one harbor to another, they would drag the ships across. That's how important it was. Now the people that live there, population, it was just a mob of, of very hungry, selfishly ambitious, highly motivated people to get ahead because that's where you go. I mean, it's the new boomtown. It is the capital of potential. And the cultural climate or the vibe, the feel, you know, the atmosphere of being a Corinthian was to do whatever you had to do to establish status or wealth or fame, and mostly this honor. Honor is gonna be one of our key words. Honor and status were obsessions in this culture, in this society. And when that was their identity, when you talk about society, or rather the idea of an identity there, when we talk about the identity of a person, the identity means that that's how. They see themselves and that's how they keep score in their own heart, like if I'm winning or losing, but it's also how they keep score to other people. It's how they judge themselves. It's how they judge other people as well. And so this, this idea of they were just proud of being proud to be identified as a Corinthian. Yeah, I'm a Corinthian like we do sometimes, but I'm an Austin light, you know, we don't say Austin, Texas. We just say Austin. I'm from Austin, but, and I'm a Christian. So. Winning in Corinth was all about honor. And there if you want to know how to get honor, they literally had a, a, a path or a road to honor. And the road to honor was about power and wisdom. Power and wisdom. The road to honor was power and wisdom. And, and the idea of power is just being in control of your own life, you autonomy, but also if more, you power in, over other people's lives. And wisdom, wisdom was scored by your sophistication or your intelligence. And in those days, the rock stars of the day were the public speakers, especially. If you were the captain of the debate team, you're winning. If you were the king of rhetoric, we're gonna, we're gonna be followers of you. That's, that was primary when it talks about wisdom, the ability to communicate effectively. So power and wisdom, that was honor. And if you couldn't get those yourself, you could attach yourself to someone who was powerful and had wisdom. And they had, they had fan clubs. They like, if, if I can't be that person, I can wear, wear that person's jersey. And I'm with him. And you're with that guy. And that's okay. We're going to split up and we're going to pick sides that way. So the point is, in summary, power and wisdom and like clicks to those people with power and wisdom, you think... And that's how the Corinthians kept score? Do you think that affected the church? Oh yeah, it tore that church to pieces. It, because people didn't have as their central identity, their prime reason for existing, of, as Christ and him crucified. They had so many other expressions of what's most important in their life. Look what it says in chapter one, verses 11 and 12. For it's been reported to me uh, by uh, Cleo's people that there's been quarreling among you, my brothers. And and what I mean is that each of you are saying, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos and I follow Cephas and I follow Christ. That is the definition of that's very Corinthian of you. How Corinthian of you to be this way? I mean, (laughs) they're, they're choosing culture over Christ. And when you have if 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 you don't have a mind that's transformed so that Christ is the center of of what makes your decisions and how you make things valuable, you can't grow in your spiritual life. It's just like you you can't if Jesus is second, you can't hear the profound depths of biblical truth. You you can't digest it if there's something, some other person, some other attribute, like I'm athletic or intelligent or successful, if that is how you're identifying yourself, then you, you can't help but start dividing families, churches, and relationships because those things can be taken from you. Look how Paul puts it in chapter three, having these worldviews causes division, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. And the other translations say worldly, I would say, because you're so Corinthian, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, but not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. And you're not even now ready for it, you're not ready, for you are still fleshly, some translations worldly, you're still being so Corinthian. And so he goes on, for while you were jeal- while there is jealousy and strife amongst you, you are not of the, are you not of the flesh? Aren't you just worldly? Aren't you just being Corinthians and behaving just like in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, you're, are you not just being merely human? I can't even give you Bible passages, this truth from God, because you're so Corinthian. You have these values that are so contaminated and so foreign to the ways of God and Jesus Christ. And so here's what Paul does. I want you to see how Paul reacts to this particular audience, this special audience and how he responds to them. So he's gonna like take on this identity as Corinthians. He's gonna give them two answers to their value system. One is he's gonna say, I don't want followers. I'm not gonna play your stupid Corinthians games. And then second of all, he's going to say, look, I don't, want even, I, don't, I don't want to entertain your value system of power and wisdom. I don't want followers and your value system of people with power and wisdom are complete. Your road to honor, <laughs> it's completely the opposite of the road to glory, the road of, of Christ. So the first one is I, I, don't want to be a, I don't want any followers. Look how he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter, 12, chapter 1, verse 12 through 7. He says, <laughs> what I mean is that when each of you say, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? It is now. Yeah. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Or, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul's like, I don't, I don't want your attention. I'm not your savior. And then he goes on again. Chapter three, he picks up again. And, and then... Uh, what then of Apollos and what then of Paul? We're just servants. We're just servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each of us. I just planted, Apollos watered, but God was the one who called the, caused the growth. So neither is one who plants or he who, who waters is anything. We're nothing but only God who gives the growth. Paul saying, I don't want to be your rock star. I want to be forgotten, I'm just a vessel I'm just a messenger. Could that happen here like now in our culture? Oh, you bet it does we try we're, We try to make rock stars out of like Christian leaders i can't. Tell you how many times people have come to me and said, why don't you lead like this guy or that guy? There's a guy in Dallas or this guy on the West Coast or East Coast. And I'm like, man, he, he leads with so much bold and confident and power. And I, I look him up and I go, that looks like pride to me. And if, if you think I can't do that, you're mistaken. I can be that. As a matter of fact, I've, I've got a wristband here that I made that says, what would Jesus do on it? But on this side, it says, don't be a jerk. I'm in, a, I'm in a recovery group that keeps me from being that kind of leader. I don't want a following. <laughs> and some of those people that I'm supposed to be like, they lost their jobs in the last few years for being a dictator and bullying and being abusive. I don't, I don't wanna be that. How very Corinthian of you to make an idol out of a religious leader. And then sometimes around here, we'll have a a Bible study writer, you know, and curriculum, a Bible study style that people attach to. I'm a follower of her, I'm a follower of her. And what it is is like, this is how I like to learn. So everyone should have to learn the way I like to learn. Very Corinthian of you. Oh yeah, it happens, it happens now. And Paul would say, don't follow a person. Don't follow maybe even a style of ministry follow Christ. Just follow Christ and him crucified. You have one thing in common. <laughs> you have one thing in common. Make sure that one thing is Jesus Christ, the savior, the king, the crucified one. The second thing Paul's going to do, remember I said he's going to look at it two different ways. One is I don't want to be I don't want to following and the second one is like I, this whole Corinthian value system it's evil. You've got, you've got to abandon their values of, of, you know, wisdom and power. That road to, to honor is a road to ruin. And it's far from the road to glory, the road to heaven. It's contrary to everything that we know about God and, and, and heaven itself. It's a, this, is, this road to honor is a dead-end road. And listen, Paul could have stepped into this. This is what's Uh, somewhat unusual to this book. But Paul could have stepped in and come over here to the road to honor and said, I'm gonna be in the fast lane, excuse me, because I can play this game of yours. But I don't play stupid games because they have stupid prizes. But he could have said, "I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. Do you know who personally discipled me? Probably the most intelligent man in the Roman Empire. And that doesn't even include my little debate on Mars Hill, which people will be studying for the next 2,000 years on how to do apologetics. And, you know, I'm going to write more New Testament books than anybody else. How am I doing over here on this road to honor? Paul won't do that. Paul's going to go over here and he's going to say the road to glory. And he's actually going to bring up his frailty and his weaknesses just to kind of throw it in their face to say, I'm not gonna play your silly Corinthian value games. So look, look, look how he celebrates his weaknesses in 117, then we'll break down to chapter two. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, that's a value of yours, no, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then in chapter two he says, and, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom that you guys love so much. And I, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and I was, when I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my messages were not plausible words of wisdom, but rather they were a demonstration of the spirit and the spirit power. So now your faith might not rest in the wisdom of me, Paul, men, but rather in the power of God. Paul says, it was never about me. I wasn't using all this stuff that you value so much. I, wisdom and and power and even like even even in his description of Jesus Christ he's talking about this road to heaven is a Christ crucified I'll tell you more about that in just a minute but he's just saying look Jesus Christ and him crucified that's supposed to be the center of your identity that's how you define yourself that's how you eva- evaluate yourself look look how Paul again let me look in more detail about how Paul is describing himself in every way he can think of contrary to this road to honor. And when I came to you, my brothers, I did not come with lofty speech or wisdom, and I decided that to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Value over here, wisdom, I I know nothing. (laughs) How about power? He said, "I was weak and fear uh, and with much trembling. Paul's saying it, it's i'm not get, I'm not getting on that road. It's a road to ruin. it's a dead end road. it's a it's a Corinthian road. It's a fleshly road. It's what we go to instinctively and and like in, intuitively, it's the road to glory. And that road is a road of humility and service. It is the road, the cross. And not only does Paul say that's the position I'm taking, when he talks about Jesus Christ, he's talking about Jesus Christ in the same way. He's saying, Jesus didn't get on your silly road. Jesus Christ is on this road to glory. Look how he describes Christ in chapter two, verse two. It's subtle, but it's powerful. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's one of the only uh, books that he's gonna write where he doesn't, like he he mentions crucifixion without the resurrection. (laughs) He's leaving Jesus in a state of crucifixion. And that's because for a reason. There's no resurrection here because he's, he's talking, it's not about power, you know? It's not about wisdom. It's about his willingness to submit. Jesus Christ, him crucified. Okay, first, let's look at it. Jesus Christ. That's not a first and last name. Okay, it's not like Matt Cassidy. Jesus, Christ is a title. And, and mixing those two, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, is mind blowing. Because Christ means Messiah, the anointed one, the, the, the promised Savior, in a word, the victor. And so Paul says, I preached Jesus. The promised savior, the victor, the, the, the anointed one that was coming, the Messiah, uh, crucified. That doesn't sound like a winner to me. Right. And the Corinthian minds were like, because they understood, and we don't maybe fully appreciate With that audience. When you're saying this is the man to follow and him Christ crucified, the, the Greeks and the Romans all but perfected uh, Assassinations, you know, or, or executions—they they could do it. They could do it quickly with the, an axe to the neck, boom. They could do it quietly. Here's some hemlock. We'll check on you tomorrow. But crucifixion—that costs a lot. It costs time and it costs money. And they didn't do it to just anyone. They saved it for the uh, for various purposes. And the purpose of crucifixion was to maximize pain, and to maximize humiliation. And when they put someone through that, it was for a political reason, generally speaking, and they put a person on the cross and they said, that person is a pathetic failure. Learn from this, my fellow Romans. Seneca said, any like self-respecting man would never allow himself to be crucified, but would instead commit suicide before that event would take place. And so Paul doesn't, Introduce Jesus over here on their road to honor and say he was a profoundly wise teacher. He was elegant and eloquent in his speech. He was a powerful healer. He raised people from the dead. No, no, no. He says this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christ crucified. Crucified means he was a failure. He was crushed. He was shamed. He was humiliated. He was executed by Rome. That's the center of my identity. (laughs) Ah, <laughs> uh, this, is, this is hard to hear. That's not very Corinthian of Jesus, is it? No. It's contrary to all things intuitive in us. Uh, one writer says this. The world religions have certainly, uh, have, have certain traits in common, but until the gospel of Jesus Christ burst upon the Mediterranean world, no one in the history of human imagination, had conceived of such a thing as to worship a crucified man. So here's the point. There is a worldview fork in the road. There's an identity fork in the road. You either travel down this road to honor, or you travel down this road to glory. And the road to honor is the way of the Corinthians, the way the American, the the Austin way of living and whatever that gets you. And then the road to glory, the road to Christ, that's the road to the crucifixion. It is a crucified carpenter at the end of that road. And it's a paradigm shift. You have to take one or the other. Christ is king sitting on a throne. If he's second, he's not even in the game. Paul is saying it's a total different way of keeping score. It's golf, not basketball. It's the lowest score wins, not the highest score wins. You're missing it completely. Jesus is always counterculture because culture is always Corinthian in some way. We always look for identity in some expression of worldliness or flesh or whatever it might be. This road to glory, the road to heaven, it is it's it's contrary because Jesus is of of the spirit and we're of the dirt. <laughs> and no wonder we take this gravel road to destruction. Jesus' definitions, they just don't work for a person that's worldly. Look, look how it's so contrary to what people are expecting in chapter one, verse 20 21 through 25. He says, Well, uh, so where's the wise person? And where's the teacher of the law? And where's the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Here's a summary statement. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Jesus didn't radically change, absolutely alter human souls and mankind by by bringing a greater wisdom. His wisdom outsmarted our best wise men, and it looks like foolishness. He didn't come like, where's the law? He didn't come to write another law or even show us how to live the law so much as he did to pay the bills for the law. That's how you change the world. Where's the philosophers? Jesus wasn't sent here to be a better Socrates, and and then finally it says like Where's the power? The power, and we're, political power. You can you can you can write all of Jesus's political values on a single post-it stamp. That's how little he addressed that issue because his power was not like the world's power. The road to glory, the road to salvation, it led to a crucifixion, a shameful crucifixion. And and God in his his sovereignty (laughs) planned that Jesus would die such a death to maximize pain and to maximize humiliation so that we would, believe it or not, yes, celebrate the cross, that we would be people, of the cross. That's what we're called as saints. We're people of the cross. And, and when we say we're people of the cross, it's, it's not like we're in our heads thinking, well, Jesus died on the cross. <laughs> Good, now I don't have to. That's not how the people of the cross works. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And now the life I live, I live by the power of the spirit living by faith. And what he means is like, uh, yeah, the road, the road to glory is the people of the cross. And I'm, I've got a cross for me. And that's where I give up my ego and my values and my way of keeping score and leave it at the foot of that cross so I can take on heavenly values. That's where I can go to confess my sins. That's weakness. Ask for forgiveness. That's weakness. And receive as a benefactor of the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus says, look, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, and it's not on this road to honor. The life that I have for you, the abundant life, it's on this road to glory. And Jesus paved that road. And in the gutters runs his blood. And on that road, that road is descending, it is stooping, it is humbling ourselves, it is washing the feet of an enemy that would soon betray you. That road to the cross, that's where you leave at the foot your wealth, your talents, your ambitions, your hopes, your dreams, and you take on all of those things that Christ gives you instead. Jesus said this, the people of the cross, if you wanna be a disciple of mine, you need to pick up your cross, or deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. He said, if you want to keep your life, you're going to lose it. But anybody who loses their life for my sake will save it. Paul says the, the path of honor, the Roman path, the Corinthian path, the American path, the Austin path, it's short lived. <laughs> Paul, I mean, if Paul could prophesy, he would say, hey, the Roman road here, like in a few short years, the Rhine River's going to freeze. You'll be overrun by barbarians. And and you'll be like, Rome, (laughs) this empire. They'll be naming dogs Caesar and salads Caesar. (laughs) But that cross that you're ashamed of, that Christ crucified, that's going to be on the top of the tallest buildings in many cities for thousands of years. It'll be the icon, the logo, the emblem for a stronger power, for a richer sense of wisdom. This is the road, the glory. This is the road to take. So, what road? Where is your identity? And your looks, your success, your intelligence, your income, whatever. Be it, live afraid whatever you, whatever you put your identity in that can be taken away, you're going to have to live in fear that it might be lost or the road to glory sealed with a covenant from God that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And you live with his values and has eternal consequences. For me, the hardest part of living this road is just remembering that I'm a person of the cross And whatever you can do to remind yourself that you're a person of the cross that humbles and and washes feet and serves others, it's just a whole different value system. If that, whatever you can use to help you remember, let that help you. For me, it's just trying to remember who I belong to, kind of like this silly wristband. I keep, sometimes I I carry a, a cross that I got in Bethlehem, it's made out of olive wood just a token. You know, I carry it with me and then I lose it. I have more. I bought a bunch because I lose them. But, <laughs> but it just, it just reminds me like when I'm, I'm going to go into a work or a meeting, I don't have to, I don't have to be in charge. I don't have to dominate. I could be the person that encourages other people in their ideas or their initiatives. Those are right. I could, I could go into school and if I'm a person of the cross, I'm doing my due diligence, I'm studying as hard as I can, I'm learning new methods of studying, I take that test. It doesn't define me. If I make 100, I'm not more valuable. If I make less than what I was expecting, it doesn't make me a failure. Those things are so variable. I am a person of the cross, and I celebrate this, Christ and him crucified. And so I'll do my best to give back to what God has given me, and I'm gonna show that off in a test. If you're a person of the cross, you can take that servitude, that that idea of humbling yourself instead of exalting yourself into any relationship you want. Serve your mate. See what happens. (laughs) Serve serve your little brother or younger sister. This is really fun, kids, okay? No matter what grade you're in, you do that. Care for and serve your younger brother, your younger sister, because your parents are not going to know what to do with you. They're going to call a counselor. They'll call a pastor. Something's wrong with my child. Like what's happened to them? And you just tell them, I'm a, I'm a child of the cross. That's who I am. Don't be a Corinthian. Let's not be Corinthians. Let's be followers of Christ. And him crucified. And resurrected. Excuse me. Christ him crucified and resurrected. When we have that in common, everything else is such a distant second that we can celebrate the differences that we enjoy. We can enjoy those age, race, income, all those other things, Viva la difference. If we can make Christ and him crucified and resurrected first, foremost, and make it our identity, If we can just hold on to that for like, I don't know, 110 minutes while we're in here, it'll be famous. If we could hold on to that priority for the next 20 to 80 years, depending on how long you live, the whole church would be the lighthouse she was meant to be. We'd have unity for a common purpose and the common purpose is a reigning sovereign king that was crowned at his crucifixion and will be crowned later upon his return. Let's make the center of our universe that King. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we'd, we'd ask that we would be mesmerized, that we would be obsessive about who you are and the majesty of of a king becoming a slave, humbling himself, taking on this form and taking on this cross that is famous for humiliation. And Lord, let that be our worldview and our dynamic and our way of keeping score. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us be a church that's unified under this glorious truth of Christ crucified and resurrected so that we might be called your children. And that, that identity, which cannot be taken away, cannot be stolen, will never rust, would be what motivates us in making our decisions about what to do with our time, our wealth, our talent, our place in life, our office. Let that be the driver of things in our lives. And God, here, here's my prayer, Lord, that you would cause our church and the church in America to be unified around that common truth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.